Hey, feisty friends, welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, where each week we deliver trusted information for women who want to get the best from their bodies throughout their lives. Learn to feel and perform your best through our four pillars of performance, physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, and this is a Feisty Media production. Hey Feisties, welcome to episode six of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. At least I think we're on episode six. One of these days my perimenopause brain is going to betray me and I'm going to say the wrong number, but hopefully I've counted to six successfully. This week's episode is all about hormones, so I'm super stoked about that because it's something I know nothing about. But first, I have a couple announcements for our listeners before we get started. Uh, The schedule for the Women's Performance Summit, which is happening March 25th to 27th, uh, it's virtual, uh, is now live on womensperformance.com. So head on over there and you can get all the information about the speakers and also you can see the topics as we populate them of the breakout sessions. So I think about two thirds of them are in there right now and it's really shaping up, I must say. So it's going to be a massive educational weekend for all of us who love learning. So I'm stoked. And of course, a reminder that if you buy the all access pass to the summit, you can have access to those sessions until the end of the year. And another reminder, for those who want to support the podcast, it really does help if you use our sponsor codes because it makes us look good. And I know that some of you are dying to try the CBD lube. (laughs) I'm still waiting for mine and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it once I get it. Um, And or if you're inside tracker curious uh, and you haven't got your blood test done yet, uh, give that a try. I learned a lot last year when I got mine done. I've really wanted my inner age to be uh, under 40 because I'm um, I was 45 I guess when I got the blood test done but I was uh, my inner age was 41 so now I'm on this mission to make my inner age under 40. I should add there that inner age if you don't know is um, one of the metrics that Inside Tracker gives you back so they give you a bunch of like nutrition information and what types of exercise you should be doing but they also give you this this inner age which of course is like became immediately a competition in our team amongst in, our, in the feisties about who could get the, the most below their age i i did not win that competition and lastly if you want to get in touch with me if you want to request a topic or a speaker or not a speaker someone to come on the podcast uh just email me sarah at livefeisty.com so that's sarah with no h at livefeisty.com and feisty does not have i before e it's f-e-i i like to say i before e except if you're feisty today's guest i do not know how to pronounce her name <laughs> is carla digerolamo um she definitely tells us how to pronounce her name properly during the episode i think that i'm close Carla is a double board certified obstetrician gynecologist and reproductive endocrinologist who has experience with the unique physical and mental challenges that women face through every stage of life's journey. In more simple language, Carla is a fertility specialist and an expert on hormones. There are so many things I could have talked to Carla about, but I wanted to just kind of start with getting a broad view on hormones. So I talked to her about things like myths and misconceptions about hormones. Um, I get some advice from Carla about helping my daughter through puberty. Uh, We talk about dealing with work stress and exercise stress at the same time. 
perimenopause, menopause, birth control we talked about, why we need to lift heavy shit. Um, And I definitely had a couple pretty big aha moments as she was talking. So I'm super excited to share this interview with you. Hi, Carla. Great to see you again. Hi, Sarah. Likewise. Yeah, you're like a regular feisty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's nowhere I'd rather be. I feel like I'm at home. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. You spoke at our at least one of our summits last year, if not both. Um, And I know that you've been on uh, Celine's Hit Play Not Pause podcast twice, right? Yes. Yes. Apparently, I'm the first one to appear twice. So I. I'm, I'm really humbled and, and excited about that. Yeah, and I'm excited to broaden our conversation today too, to talk all about women's performance and hormones and all of your amazing experience. Uh, but I have to tell you before we start. So, okay, well, first of all, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> it's D Girolamo. D Girolamo. Okay, I, I know we've been over this before, but I'm going to confess this, that um, we at Feisty, we call you Carla Didgeridoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. On a bad hormone day, that's what I call myself. So really, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I started it though. So it's my fault. But I thought, I thought I'd tell you, they're all going to be like, why did you say that? <laughs> oh, no, that's funny. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to confess also, like, I don't know a ton. I, I don't think I'm unusual. Like, I don't know a ton about hormones um, and how they affect me. So like, as we're talking, like, definitely feel free to like, dumb it right down. Yeah, sure. No problem. And, and on the flip side of that, if I start talking like in another language, stop me and say, okay, can you explain what that 10 syllable word is that you just said? Right. Um, don't hesitate to stop me if I start, you know, rambling on um, tangentially or, you know, just kind of way up there. Yeah. Uh, I speak this language all day. So sometimes I, I, I forget. So right. please, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. I wanted to start by asking you about like some common myths and misconceptions about hormones that, that you've, yeah, that you see just generally out there in the zeitgeist. So I think the most common one that I see, not just among lay people, but among providers as well, mm. is that there's this need to quote, bring hormones in balance what foods can you eat to balance your hormones? Um, oh, what that's not true. <laughs> balance your hormones. No, it's not. And I'll oh. tell you why it's not. The, the perimenopausal hormone situation, which as in the, uh, the summit, I refer to it as a shit show because that mm-hmm. is kind of what it is because things are fluctuating. Things are chaotic. Things are wild. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. Okay, as as abnormal as it feels for all of us going through this, it, it it's a normal situation and it's happening for a reason. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about exercise, I'll just use that as an example: exercise, balancing your hormones. What happens is when we exercise, lots of hormones change, lots of hormones are affected. You have adrenaline, you have all kinds of things in the sympathetic or the fight or flight response that are happening at exercise and about thirty minutes later. But after that it goes back to baseline because the hormones are reacting to the exercise as 
a task that needs to be completed and they change so to you can accommodate that task. But after that, they return to baseline. They return to where they were. And so what exercise does, it doesn't balance the hormones per se. What it does is it mitigates the effects of the hormones. For example, bone loss is, is something that we worry about and it's a problem for all menopausal women because our, you know, our bone density declines at menopause. So the exercise, the weight bearing exercise, the lifting heavy shit that we do doesn't balance the hormones and change the hormones. What it does is it deals with the effects of the hormone, which is declining bone density by directly impacting the bones because you're lifting you know, weight against your bones. That's stimulating the bones to gain density or to prevent loss. So what you're dealing with with the exercise is the downstream effect of those changing hormones, not the hormones themselves. And there's a lot of other examples. Diet does similar things. Um, so that's the myth and it's a nuance and it's, it's, um, it's very subtle, but it's very real because when people, especially like, um, uh, certain companies that might be putting out a supplement or whatever, say balance your hormones, your perimenopausal, this is going to balance your hormones. Well, you know, it, it, it's probably not, or do exercise, sign up for my exercise program. It's going to balance your hormones. Well, they're kind of using it as a selling point when in actuality, you're not balancing hormones. You are rather dealing with the effects of the hormones. And that's a bigger picture issue. Yeah. So that is what I think is the biggest myth out there is that uh -huh. the things that Stacey Sims talks about in her courses, the diet, the exercise, it's not balancing hormones. It's yeah. impacting the effects of the hormones. Right. Okay. So, okay. What I hear there a little bit is like, like when we're talking about balancing, it's almost like, um, like a, culturally we consider like a flat hormone profile to be normal because it's more male. Right. And it's like, we center that more and our hormone fluctuations as women, we often speak about negatively, or we hear negative things about them, or that we get grumpy around certain times of month, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, so in that balancing language, I'm just hearing echoes of that. Like why, why would hormones need to be something that's balanced, like in, essentially imbalanced by design, um, because we reproduce the species, <laughs> you know, like it's now that you're saying that I'm like, oh yeah, that the, there's the language matters, you know, it, it really does. And, and that really opens the door to the other issue, which isn't necessarily a myth about hormones, but I think it's a myth. It's a, it's a cultural stigma that somehow the menopausal condition means we're broken. We're not broken. Right. Our hormones are supposed to be, I would, I know we feel broken sometimes. I know I feel broken when I can't remember my own name on a bad day. Um, <laughs> But it's, we're really not broken. Um, this is what normally happens to us. Now, that doesn't mean we have to accept it and surrender to it. No way. We don't do that. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to look negatively at ourselves as broken either. You know, when you think about all the hormone phases of our lives, whether it's puberty and all of a sudden you wake up and now you need a bra for the first time. You, have, you, you went to bed without boobs. You woke up with boobs the next mm -hmm. day. Um, these very dramatic changes. When we're pregnant, Look at how different that is. I mean, our physiology gets turned upside down when we're pregnant. You know, we're not broken in all of these phases. And, and menopause is just one more hormonal change that our body goes through throughout life. So this perception that there's something that needs to be fixed, 
um, when you're just talking about normal menopause is, is really part of the problem in society and why we've got such a natural negative stigma around this is, is, yeah. is just that sense that we're broken. Now there are, you know, people have issues with thyroid, people's bone density declines, there's osteoporosis. There are medical issues that arise. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're talking about the normal menopausal transition, mm -hmm. we're not broken. We feel like we're broken, but, but we're not, you know, this is transient. Our bodies are just adjusting, just like in pregnancy, just like in puberty to these changes that are going on. Yeah. Or even on a month to month basis, like we tend to talk about certain times of month as a month, like broken, right? Like, yeah. oh, this is the bad, this is the one where we can't perform. This is the, this is the point where we're off our game or whatever, not feeling good. Like if we reframe that, right. To like, we're not broken. Actually, this is like, I have often said, I'm sometimes I'm um, grateful for that, like kind of that phase right before my period, because if something's bothering me and I've been ignoring it, like it will come out then, you know, there's almost this like mental effect of like, oh, I will find that in my brain <laughs> right there at the end of the luteal phase, you know? So sometimes I'm like grateful for that phase and that it exists because otherwise I might just ignore a bunch of shit that I would other, that I should deal with. Um, so I think there's ways right. to like reframe that, like that brokenness, quote unquote. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there's such a movement now um, toward training for your menstrual cycle. I know Stacey mm. does a lot of work on it, and I'm actively trying about it myself, um, that it's not that, okay, during this phase, oh, I can't train hard, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. It's just, well, maybe my body, you know, maybe today's a mobility day, which I really, really need to do. And, you know, maybe in about a week or two, when I'm in my follicular phase, maybe it's going to be a heavy strength day. Um, it's just a matter of not what you can't do it's just what you should do to optimize your performance yeah so i think we do spend an awful lot of time thinking we're broken when it's just you know normal physiology that um we just need to listen to you know these things we feel are our body's requests to do things a little bit different yeah yeah and i wanted to ask you about this like do you the with the folks you work with do you recommend that they train with their cycles or that they exercise with their cycle not so much with who I deal with. I mean, if I'm dealing with clients who are not actively trying to get pregnant, uh, mm -hmm. which is most of what I do right now, but I'm seeing a fair number of, um, of athletes in, in menopause right now on the side, mm. most of them don't really have regular menstrual cycles. Um, they're either menopausal where they're having no more menstrual cycles mm -hmm. or they're perimenopausal and maybe they get a period once every three months, or maybe they bleed, but it's not really a period. Maybe it's just some breakthrough hormonal stuff. So it's really hard for the athletes that I do manage as a physician, um, to have them train with their menstrual cycles because their menstrual cycles are right. so irregular. Right. Um, okay. I have a question for you, a specific question <laughs> about me. So, so this morning I've been dealing with a lot of stress, like work stress this week, like to the point of like, um, not sleeping, like basically having like hormonal reactions, not sleeping, not having an appetite, that kind of thing. And I didn't, I managed to exercise once in three days. Um, mm -hmm. and then this morning I went to CrossFit and I thought, and I still was feeling that even though I'm feeling a little bit relieved from that stress, I slept a bit last night. It's not great. And I wasn't sure like what, how my body was going to react. And, and I did the, um, the, the open workout 
I don't know, uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen it, but like the deadlifts and the burpees. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so a lot of, and like even the art, like the RX weight was quite heavy for me. Um, and so I just didn't know, I actually had this thought and like hormone, like, is there something, is this good? The stress that I'm putting on by lifting heavy right now, like, is this a good thing or is it not a good choice? I think it, I mean, if you were actively in the stressful situation at its height, Mm -hmm. then you would probably feel that that deadlift might be something where you're getting the red flags and the warning signs that is feeling it. I'm feeling some pain. I'm feeling some, you know, this is just feeling way too heavy for me today. Mm-hmm. You might be getting those signals um, because if you're stressed, you know, if you're going through stress and it's been ongoing, days, um, that's going to take a toll and your body will likely send you some signals and you really need to listen to those signals. It's it, if, if that RX weight is too heavy where it might not have been, you know, before the stress, you got to listen to that because your body's telling you something and saying, you know what, my muscles are fried from all the cortisol that's been going mm. through my veins for the last week. Um, so the body is saying, maybe you shouldn't lift so much, you know, maybe you're feeling a little bit weaker because well, maybe the muscles really aren't ready to be dealing with that under that stress, but it sounds like the stress is behind you. And that, you know, you got some sleep, you got some recovery. If you felt up to it and your body was saying, yeah, you know, bring it, uh, then I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, you know, it was, it's, I sort of surprised myself because I did okay at the workout. So I was like, that's what I thought. Like, I must be like over the hump here a little yeah. bit, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I knew I was talking to you today. So I was like, I wonder what's happening with my hormones. Well, it um, sounds like you recovered well from it, but I mean, I know with myself, you know, if I'm dealing with, uh, with a lot of stress, like I just, I just went away. I went to Florida. I came back, my flight got canceled on the way back. And it was, it just led to a whole trickle down of things because I I couldn't get out for a couple of days and I have tremendous flight anxiety. And so it was the cortisol storm from the time my flight was canceled up until, and I tried to go out for a run and I felt like crap, even though the weather was perfect. And, and, you know, I had slept well the night before I knew that the stress of dealing with the travel and the upcoming flight and everything else was just taking a toll. It's like, you know what, I'm not going to beat myself up. I know that I'm not going to get through this 5k today in the time that I want. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do this in intervals and that's okay. And, you know, when you kind of know why, you know, you're feeling the way you do, then you just kind of accept it. Give your body a hug because that's what it needs mm. and just do what you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have, you mentioned puberty earlier. I have an 11 year old daughter and she's like, she's actually early puberty. So she's well into it. Um, I related to you saying you wake up one morning and you have boobs. I'm sure she's yeah. I just had that experience, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and I don't have any education on puberty since I was in fifth grade, getting the education from like my gym teacher, <laughs> you know? Yep. So like, as a like, how could you help? Like, can you help me understand what's going on with her and, and how I can do best for her? Well, you know, you think about, I think about menopause as puberty in reverse mm-hmm. because, you know, we have this conversation in my house too. I have a son that's 15 and, you know, he's kind of in the throes of it. And it's like, you know, we're both using the same acne medication. He's like, mom, why are you using this stuff? He's like, well, your, you know, your hormones are turning on, mine are turning off. Whenever there's a change, stuff happens and you get acne, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just letting your daughter know. And again, this is a good stage to set for the future. 
that what's happening to her is normal. These changes are normal. She's mm. not broken. And just reassure her that this is all okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know you cry in response to the car commercial and you don't know why, that's okay. Um, that's just your body's way of adjusting to these big changes that are happening. So I think that's the best thing we do for our kids when they're going through these changes that they don't understand is to just say, you know what, this is normal. This is okay. Mm, that's really good advice. Um, that's okay. Let's talk about the, I know you're a fertility doctor, but the opposite birth control, there's a lot, there's a lot on, I see a lot on Instagram recently about how terrible the pill is. Um, and I know as an athlete, like I used an IUD, a lot of my friends use an IUD because we reacted to the pill. Um, then I see other people arguing. I, I recognize that, that those original kind of like the oral contraceptives and like the, they essentially saved women from being, um, strapped to their like biology, you know, and I'm like extremely grateful for birth control and the event invention of it. Um, but what do you think, like, what do you think about the pill, uh, for active, for athletes and for active people and what forms of birth control do you recommend? It, it really depends the reason one wants to take the birth control. Okay. And it's always a risk benefit. So if you have a woman who needed to have a hysterectomy and have her ovaries out at 30, because God forbid she had cancer or something like that. Mm-hmm. She needs those birth control pills to, you know, for her athletic performance, for her cognitive or her, you know, thinking and reasoning and for preventing heart disease and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She needs something like that. Um, the thing, the reason why for athletes, I think we, we start to hesitate a little bit about it is because one thing the pill does is that it increases this protein in the liver called sex hormone binding globulin. And what that does is it mops up our testosterone. Oh, and uh, you don't want that. (laughs) No, you don't want that. You don't want that. And um, this may be the reason why in elite level athletes who are on birth control pills, they may not perform as well as women who are not on it. And it's likely because of this response of the liver to produce these hormones. It's the same reason why acne gets better when you're on the pill is because that, that, that protein in the liver, the sex hormone binding globulin binds up the, the testosterone and lowers the levels. So, you know, but that woman who had the hysterectomy and her ovaries removed, she can't go without that. So right. she kind of needs that. So, you know, depending on what the purpose of that birth control pill is mm-hmm. determines okay, you know, are there alternatives? Like if it's just for preventing pregnancy, maybe an IUD is a better alternative for an elite athlete because the IUD isn't going to cause that spike in that liver protein. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what's the reason for the birth control and are there alternatives that don't require an oral pill? Because it's the oral pills that cause that. Other things like right. the NuvaRing may not cause it as much. And um, the um, implants may not cause it, you know, the ones that are under the skin. Yeah. And the IUD definitely doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I like personally, I love the IUD. I love the progesterone IUD. They've made so many different ones. They've made smaller ones for people who have never had a baby before. Oh. Um, yeah. That's good. Style- 
the Skyla is a smaller one because the big problem with the Mirena is it's it's large. And if you put it in a uterus that's never had a baby in it before, the expulsion rates are very high and the cramping right. rate is very high. Women hate them. So they came up with these much smaller ones mm -hmm. and they're fantastic. Um, so the IUD, the progesterone containing IUD is like my favorite type of <laughs> contraceptive out there. I, I remember when I got mine and it's like comes in this giant box. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, like, where is this thing going? Um, but so do you see any downsides to that low dose progesterone IUD? Um, I mean, it, it, it can be crampy. It can be crampy going in uh, for sure. And some women are very aware of it when it's in there. The vast, vast majority of women that I've treated through the years, reproductive age and menopausal, Mm -hmm. um they like it and they mm -hmm. don't feel it and the great thing is it stops your uterine bleeding uh most of the time yeah so the downside is just it's it's the cramping um that okay. some women experience but most women vast majority of women don't as we head into summer rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance reducing stress and living a long and healthy life we should all invest in better sleep so think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to team otter which i love because it has a gentle cooling effect and i was able to choose how much stuffing i wanted in it which is super important to me because i'm doing a decent amount of crossfit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky so having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night and as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code performance for 15% off your first purchase. That's code performance at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. 
Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Right. So I, um, I'm turning 46 next month and, uh, I have my IUD in still, and I'm wondering like, when I take it out, am I just going to go into menopause? Is it like, is that progesterone like saving me from pot flashes right now? Probably not because the progesterone doesn't get secreted in your bloodstream. So if you took a blood test, your Mm -hmm. blood levels of progesterone wouldn't be any different with the IUD in versus out. Um, the progesterone in the IUD is secreted very locally right inside the uterus. And so you can't detect that in the bloodstream. Uh, So it's really not doing much in some people, like when you first put in the Mirena IUD, some people get some side effects because that's when the dose is the highest, but it settles out very quickly. And those Mm -hmm. doses are typically not detectable or physiologically appreciated. So, so, you know, the only thing, if you were if you were menopausal, which is defined as the last menstrual period one year beyond, mm-hmm. um, if you didn't get your period for a year, we would start to have to have that evaluation because it could be for some other reason at 46, you're, you're awful young to be going through menopause, but, um, mm-hmm. or to be menopausal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't think, um, you know, menopause will, will just, you know, jump out of the bushes when okay. it's be removed. <laughs> You've, uh, yeah, you've relieved my fears. <laughs> um, and I know, okay. I know we both love CrossFit, um, and like lifting heavy shit and that hits training type intensity stuff is really important for women. Um, talk a bit about that. Like, why is it so important for us to lift heavy? You know, I just did a deep dive on, um, sarcopenia, which is muscle loss Mm-hmm. And I wanted to mm-hmm. learn more about this. And I very quickly realized as I was doing this very deep dive into the literature that it really is the sister condition of osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. It runs in parallel. The same things that cause bone loss also cause muscle loss. And it goes hand in hand with, uh, with the bone loss and is a really significant cause of uh, morbidity, which is you know, uh, poor outcomes and low quality of life, just like the risk of fracture with osteoporosis. So the two go hand in hand. And so the lifting heavy shit not only stimulates the bones, but it stimulates the muscles as well. And what it's doing is it's taking the place of the estrogen stimulus that is now going away um, in perimenopause, which is essentially gone in menopause. So what you need to do is find a different way to stimulate your muscles and your bones to keep them from declining. It's like, if you don't use it, you're gonna lose it sort Mm -hmm. of 
sort of mentality. So by providing a stimulus to your muscles and your bones, you are slowing that decline. By making sure you eat enough protein and taking enough calcium, getting enough calcium in your diet or supplements, you're preventing or you're, you're ebbing the decline that would otherwise happen if you weren't eating well, if you weren't moving around or exercising, that rate of loss of bone and muscle is going to just drop like a stone. But we can really mitigate that uh, by paying attention to what we're eating, our good nutrition, our calcium, and lifting heavy shit and stimulating our bones and muscles. Right. You know, I think before we talked, I would have said that lifting heavy shit helps balance hormones. (laughs) (laughs) So now I will never repeat that again without knowing. (laughs) Now that I know. (laughs) Um, And then what about like HITS training, like the high intensity stuff? I know that that's like, that has an effect on hormones too. It, it, it does. It's more cardiovascular. So again, it's the effect of the hormones. So what happens in menopause? right? So estrogen levels are declining, testosterone levels are declining, everything is declining essentially. And what happens is the way our body manages cholesterol is changing as well. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is in menopause, cardiovascular disease starts to approach that of men. And because the protective effect of our estrogen is now going away. And so what the hicking does is that speaks to the cardiovascular fitness that is really important for managing those lipid levels and for keeping our heart healthy. Uh, so that's why that's very important. I think the American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes per week of mm-hmm. moderate to high intensity cardiovascular exercise. Oh, that's um, a lot. It is a lot. It is yeah. a lot for sure. Uh, most people, uh, most average people aren't getting that. Our, our athletes certainly are exceeding that. Um, yeah. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's what the recommendation is. So anything that we can do to keep our heart healthy, again, this goes back to making sure our nutrition is sound and um, all of that exercise that we do because our heart disease risk goes up because those hormones are declining and the changes that happen as a result of the hormones declining, increased risk of osteoporosis, increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So we have to work to mitigate those risks. And that's why HIIT training is very important. And the beauty of CrossFit Mm -hmm. is, and and this is exactly that open workout that you did. You've got a heavy lift and you got right? So you're you're going between two different energy systems. You've got your cardiovascular fitness energy system and your um, explosive heavy lifting muscular energy systems. They're different. By going from one to the other back and forth very quickly, Uh you're creating a stimulus for your muscles, your bones, and your nervous system that takes the place of that estrogen stimulus that might already be there. And there aren't many other types of exercise programs that do that, that have you toggling between heavy lift and a cardio movement. Um, So that's what I think is really special about CrossFit is that it really can give you a very efficient stimulus in a very short period of time that is very effective for all those things we want to do. Right. And I know there's a couple of things I want to pull out there for what you just said, but I know that you're working with CrossFit. Am I right? Yes. Um, Yes. CrossFit Health. Okay. And what is that? So CrossFit Health is a group of physicians worldwide who do CrossFit, Mm -hmm. who really believe that 
diet, exercise are the keys to preventing chronic disease. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this was an initiative, I think it was back in 2018, the CEO of CrossFit at the time, Greg Glassman, recruited physicians all over the world who do CrossFit to create this group as a consortium to use the principles of CrossFit in nutrition to tackle chronic disease um, as an alternative to just writing a script for pills and you know the whole pharma deal. So that's what CrossFit Health is. And from CrossFit Health, uh, a group has launched something called CrossFit Precision Care, which mm-hmm. is a concierge primary care uh, practice that uses all of the basis of those elements of functional fitness training and good nutrition to again, prevent chronic disease. And there are a bunch of, of generalist physicians who take care of patients just like any other physician does, but health and fitness are the cornerstone of their medical care. So that's what CrossFit Health is. And that's what CrossFit Precision Care is, is the concierge medical practice. I love that. Um, And you've mentioned good nutrition a couple of times. And I'm just wondering, like, what does that mean specifically? What it means, okay, so if you ask a CrossFitter, what does that mean? Or if you ask with glass- Like paleo? Well, kind of close to paleo, what okay. they would say, and, and I'll preface this by saying one size does not fit all. Mm. There are a lot of great solutions out there. And the one that you can stick to is the best one for you, because not everybody is going to be able to do the same mm. thing. So it's, uh, I forget, I forget what the mantra is. It basically has to do with uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, no sugar, a uh, little bit of fat and no grain. So it is essentially like paleo. Mm. Um, but again, not everybody responds to that. So I think the basic premise is you want to reduce your processed food. You want to reduce your refined sugars and just really have a good balance of your protein, fat, and carbs. Um, and you know, different people need different things, you know, like women who are perimenopausal are going to need a whole heck of a lot more protein than this productive woman who, you know, kind of goes for a walk every once in a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so size doesn't fit all because people are very, very different, but the foundational elements are lots of fruits and vegetables, high quality proteins that are varied, you know, plant protein, animal protein, um, you know, dairy, if it's not inflammatory for you. And for some people it is, and for some it isn't. Um, but just some of those basic foundational elements that you can then branch off into to, you know, meld it to what your specific situation is, is really what good nutrition is. It's balanced. Yeah, totally. And so, and you're saying, I love that you're saying one size doesn't fit all. And we talk a lot about how women have often been excluded from the studies on which mm. this diet plans are based or training programs are based. So in your, how do you handle that when you're dealing with athletes or when you're suggesting, if you're suggesting, going to suggest a diet for someone, um, how do you know that the information is for them as a woman or as a perimenopausal woman or whatever phase of life they're in? I think my bigger frustration comes with medical providers that will tell my triathlete that she only needs 0.7 grams of protein per kilogram Mm. of body weight. And it's like, oh my God, just, you know, shoot me now. Um, you know, it's dealing with the providers and trying to educate them on the fact that athletes and perimenopausal women are different. Um, but when, you know, I have athletes that come to me as patients, you know, Mm -hmm. the first thing I ask them about is their nutrition, because that's the foundation of everything. And I've had a number of athletes that tell me that they have brain fog and they have, um, you know, various other symptoms that we commonly associate with the perimenopausal transition, but Mm -hmm. they also could mean she's not eating enough. Mm -hmm. And so I 
simply refer them to a sports nutrition specialist to just take an inventory of what they're eating and to try to design something very specific to them to make sure they're getting what they need because we might solve a lot of that brain fog and some of those other symptoms by just tweaking the diet because maybe they're not getting what they they specifically need. Mm. Um, so that's what I usually do with my athletes that present a certain way with certain symptoms. Right. But it, it really is very different athlete to athlete. Mm -hmm. And the type of athlete they are. My mm -hmm. power lifter is going to need something totally different from my marathon runner. Right. You know, they're going to need you know, way more carbs, whereas a marathon runner, you know, she may need more fats uh, because, you know, the, the, the power lifters, their exertion is in under a minute of time. A marathoner's exertion could be two hours, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so the body is metabolizing fuel differently. So it, it's, it's, so I take each person individually, what they do, what stage of life they're in, you know, what their circumstances are and, uh, and that's pretty much what I go on. Yeah. And in a, in a recent episode of Hit Play, Not Pause, um, you talked to Celine about testosterone. Um, and there's been a couple episodes where testosterone comes up where there's not, like, there's no, I, I forget how you worded it, but there's no, like, clinical way of dealing with women or we don't necessarily test testosterone with women. Like, it's kind of a, like, how important is testosterone to women's health? And, like, why do you think it's, not, you know, tested or dealt with? Well, I can tell you why I don't test it. Um, because especially in women over 45, if they're perimenopausal, menopausal, I don't test it for a couple of reasons. One is because we know in the literature, it's very, very clear that the menopausal experience, what a woman experiences does not correlate with testosterone levels, number one. Oh, and so, oh yeah. I mean, this mm. is very well known. And part mm. of the reason for that is because women who are in perimenopause and menopausal are going to have low testosterone. That is the normal condition of someone in that phase of life. And the assays, the tests themselves are not accurate in those very low ranges. And so if you're not getting an accurate test, that probably can explain why the symptoms they're feeling don't correlate with the levels because testing those levels in those low ranges isn't very accurate. Right. So the standard of care is to deal with what is the patient experiencing? Like if I have a woman that's coming to me with low libido, low drive, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter to me whether her testosterone is 15 or whether it's five. The mm -hmm. fact is she's experiencing this and testosterone may help her. And right. so I would prescribe it for her and then just make sure that I'm in a therapeutic range that isn't like, you know, going to make her grow hair and a mustache. <laughs> right. you know? and I just have to stay within a safe range. But, yeah. you know, the levels themselves don't help me. It's what she tells me that um, that helps me figure out if she is a good candidate that I think it would work for her. Right. Huh. Um, and you've spent most of your career as a fertility doctor, and we haven't talked about this yet. Um, and one of the best fertility doctors. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and this is like, it's really interesting to me because, and I'm just wondering about your experience because fertility dealing with that, what someone would go through if they can't conceive seems to me is at this interesting intersection between like their physiology, their mental health and cultural expectations. Um, what is your experience? Or I, uh, here's my question. 
what would you change if you could to help to support women better in that? Like, would you change the, some cultural expectation? Would you change, like, what would you change? One of the, that's a great question. Um, I think the single biggest thing that stands out to me when people struggle to conceive is that they feel like they're broken. This goes back to the whole broken thing. And they feel like they failed. They mm. feel like they're less of a woman and they feel so empty and, and like I said, broken. And what is shocking to me is they feel this way. Even when we check the guy's sperm and he doesn't have any, <laughs> when it's completely his wow. issue, mm -hmm. these women, the responsibility bearing children on me. And if this isn't happening, it's my fault. Um, so, and different cultures, this happens to different extents in different cultures. Hmm. Um, but it's still, it happens in American women. You know, you would think that, okay, in America, you know, even Canada as well, I'm sure, you know, we, we think we're past that. You know, mm -hmm. we know that we are more than just vessels for carrying children, but it's so deeply rooted and ingrained that it really comes out yeah. in my patients who yeah. are devastated. Many of these women, and I've spoken to our psychologists about this. We have psychologists on staff because this mm. is such a big issue. Mm -hmm. These women would rather be diagnosed with a terminal disease than be told they can't have a baby. It is profound um, how mm. women's identities can be tied up in this. And that is a very big part of the picture that we need to manage as fertility doctors yeah. and how we you know, just how we talk to the patients, just how we deal with when, you know, they're losing their minds on the phone with my nurses because they just got a negative pregnancy test. It's, it's a very, very fragile situation. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to someone who's listening, who might be struggling right now? What advice would you give them? It's not your fault. Mm. It's not your fault. You know, I try to tell people that, you know, sometimes fertility conditions, you know, whether it's premature ovarian insufficiency, whether their fallopian tubes are blocked, it's not their fault. This is a condition just like diabetes, just like high blood pressure that needs to be treated. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the number one thing I tell my patients is, is it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And many of them break down and cry after I say that to them. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh God, I just made it, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the biggest thing I would change. I it just, my heart goes out to, um, to these women because uh, it's so devastating for them because they do wrap up their entire identity and their ability to have babies. Yeah. Yeah. And what advice would you give to someone um, maybe going through perimenopause uh, in terms of their training and their hormones? Uh, be good to yourself. Um, be kind to yourself. You know, you're going to experience changes and these changes are just your body telling you, you know, I'm going through something right now. I kind of need a hug. I need you to support me, not kick me when I'm down. Maybe if I can't help you run that, you know, run that half marathon today, you know, maybe we do something different. Mm -hmm. um, your body has been taking care of you for years and sometimes it needs some support. And so I think the biggest advice is to not beat ourselves up when we're going through these changes to love ourselves, to be kind to ourselves and help us through these changes that we're going through, because a lot of it is temporary. You can navigate it. You might have to change some things, but you can get through it. Um, mm -hmm. This is something I learned from my coach. I have a coach who's fantastic, 
Um, and I've worked through some injuries, like I know many of, of your listeners have. And, you know, when I, I was having shoulder issues and I couldn't do push-ups, push-ups are my jam, right? Because I can't do deadlifts to save my life, but I can do push-ups and pull-ups. And when my shoulder went, it was like that one thing that sets me apart as an athlete is gone now. I can't do it. And I was so angry with myself. I'm like, you're betraying me. My body is betraying me. Why? And my coach said, no, pain is just your body asking you to do something different. And so I had to take a big step back. I had to do some mobility work. I had to do a number of things. And guess what? I can do more push-ups now than I could before because I was patient with myself. I was good to myself. And that was a huge lesson that I learned because I, like many athletes, do beat themselves up when they can't do something they used to be able to do. Um, So that's my best advice. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. And you'll get through it. Pain is just your body asking you to do something different. And that that I can't take credit for that quote. I can't take credit for that. That (laughs) is is, um, Kelly Sturette. Kelly Mm. Sturette is a mobility expert. He's a, a physical therapist, big in the CrossFit world. Mm -hmm. and he focuses a lot on what pain perception is Mm -hmm. and one of in his mantra is pain doesn't necessarily mean damage pain is your body's way of asking you to move differently Mm -hmm. and that really stuck with me and I think he's absolutely right Mm -hmm. amazing okay well I think that's um I think we'll leave it there that's a good place to end um sure Carla, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I enjoy our talks all the time. This is fantastic. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. 
prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. <laughs> 